Amen. Go ahead and take a seat this morning, church. How are we doing this morning? We doing all right? It's good to be in God's house this morning. Uh, thank you, praise team. And a special thanks to Danielle Ferris. This is actually her last week helping lead worship before she goes off to school. And we will uh, miss you dearly, Danielle. And Lord willing, she will be back at Thanksgiving singing uh, and helping us and serving. We really appreciate you this summer and pray, uh, pray that God continues to use you and your gifts to further his kingdom. So please be in prayer for Danielle as she heads out and others as they prepare to head out for college um, this coming week and the, and the coming weeks after that. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor here at Newtown Road, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, I'd like to say welcome to you here at Newtown Road. Also want to say welcome to those who are tuning in online, Facebook, YouTube. We appreciate your, um, your engagement and your involvement with what's going on at our church. If you are a guest or a visitor, whether here or online, we want you to either download our Church Center app and fill out a communication card on there or click in the links or yes, click the link below if you're online and fill out a communication card there. And so that we know we have a record of your attendance and we can get you information you need for what's happening in and around our ministry. And I just have like a couple uh, quick things. Number one, this coming weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the 6th through the 8th, is our high school serve weekend. Um, and so if, if you um, have a child in going into ninth grade or all the way up to just graduated, we want them to be a part of this weekend. You can go online to get more information. You can talk to me. Um, you can go straight to the Church Center app and register there. But it's going to be an amazing weekend, fun times. It's going to be all happen here uh, at the church. And so they're going to be dropped off here, picked up here. It's not going to be an overnight thing this year. It's just gonna, We're going to serve our church. Uh, we're going to partner together with Newtown Road. We're going to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're going to play games. We're going to hear messages. We're going to come together as a youth group. And, I, and I'm excited about this coming weekend. So there's still time to register. There's still spots available. We want you to be a part of that if you're able. Uh, and then as far as uh, your continued faithfulness and giving church, we appreciate you so, so much. And um, uh, if you are ready to give tithes and offerings this morning, uh, thank you. Our, our boxes are um, right alongside the doors. As you head out, you can put your tithes and offerings in those boxes as you exit this morning. And again, church, we love that you're here. We love that we have the, the opportunity to come together to worship our Savior this morning. I'm going to introduce Pastor Matt, who's had a crazy week uh, preaching over at Sacandaga. But can I just say, for my family and I, it was a joy to hear our pastor 12 times this week. I may, have, I may have skipped a session or two. Pastor Matt. Wow, thank you. Oh, I think I skipped a session or two. It is so good to see your smiling faces. I joked around this morning. This is sermon 13 of 14 that I'll deliver in the last uh, six and a half, seven days. I just got back from that week at Sacandaga. It was so much fun. If you've never been to uh, the Sacandaga Bible Conference, they're, they're finished up family camp now for this year, but think about that for your family in the coming years. It is just a beautiful facility right there on the shores of the great Sacandaga Lake. I had the opportunity to be the camp speaker for their family camp. 
uh, which is a blessing to visit old friends and make some new friends and encourage them in the Lord. And I'm very thankful for those opportunities and also thankful for our church's willingness to share that ministry with them. Uh, and so in, in the willingness of our congregation and our elder, elder team, um, Lord, the Lord was um, able to use that to be a blessing to multiple other churches and pastors and other people and got to talk about how awesome our church was over and over again. So it was very exciting. And I'm thankful for Chad also for stepping in last week to tackle the preaching and I'm thrilled to be back with you in Mark chapter 9. Uh, at this point, because this is sermon 13, I don't remember what book I'm in. I don't remember who's writing, who's receiving, and or what themes are there. So I'm probably just, I'm going to stumble around this morning. I hope you're okay with that. Um, Mark chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 38. We're going to read to verse 50. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and, and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. Uh, your word is beautiful and powerful and true. But Lord, sometimes our attempts to explain it uh, don't do it justice. So Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit's power. Uh, God, that you would honor the, the preparation uh, that I've put in, honor the, the hearts of people preparing themselves to receive, honor the honor the power of your word today and speak to us help us to have your wisdom in jesus name amen okay it's a weird passage this morning looks like competing themes i hope you'll see at the end that they're lumped together and they're not all that they're not in in a lot of competition with one another but the, the first portion of that passage deals with with rivalries and the the question is with us or against us that's, that's what the disciples ask. John comes to Jesus and he says, look, we've, we've got a problem. We encountered a problem. Um, you may not know this, but while we were out, we ran into this other guy. And he was from a different team. He went to a different church. He didn't look like us or act like us. And he was doing some really crazy stuff. Like, so he was, he, you know how you told us to go out and exercise demons in, in your name and we struggled with that sometimes. Well, this guy was out there on the road. He's not even one of us. And we saw him, and he was exercising demons. But, but listen, he, he's not one of us. You don't have to worry about it because we took care of it. We told him to stop it. What? So, there's a word for us there about unnecessary rivalry, okay? Now, let's, let's think a little bit about what's going on with these guys in particular. Maybe you can remember some of the details here. 
Now, they have historically taken one step forward and two steps back. Jesus has revealed himself as clearly and as profoundly as it's possible, and they still don't understand who he is and what he's about. They, they have consistently failed the test, which gives us great hope, because God used them to turn the world upside down. There's hope for us who fail the test pretty often, right? These guys, just recently, were in an argument about who was the greatest, they were, they were talking with one another about who was going to have seats of honor and prominence and who wouldn't, who was better than other people. They, they already have this, this, this natural, humanistic way of, of comparing themselves against each other and find, finding their rank. They, they struggle with rivalry. They struggle with rivalry. So on top of that, remember just a couple chapters ago, Jesus was off on the Mount of Transfiguration and, uh, and the guy brought his demon-possessed son. He, he carries the kid who's, who's been a- afflicted by a demon, and it casts him into the fire, and it throws him into convulsions, and he, he's been afflicted since he was a child, and the guy is just at, his, at his end, the end of his rope, and he comes to Jesus, but he couldn't find Jesus. So he asks his, his disciples, hey, could you guys help him? And they couldn't. And then Jesus comes back, and it's kind of embarrassing to them because the crowd is there and they're realizing they couldn't do it, but Jesus just speaks and everything is fine. And he says to them, look, this kind doesn't come out except for prayer, with prayer and fasting. So these guys who are prone to rivalries, who just recently have been embarrassed because they lack the power to actually do this thing, encounter somebody who's not one of them, who's not part of their little band of followers, And he's doing the thing that they couldn't do. The audacity of this guy to be out there healing people in the name of Jesus. He didn't even do it the right way. Shame on him. He was probably in flip-flops and shorts. What a jerk, right? All right. There's a word here for us about unnecessary rivalries. We don't, I think often we struggle with this. We have this unbecoming tendency in the church to criticize what is not of us. And that doesn't mean it's not of God, it just means it's not of us. And if it looks different, or it sounds different, or it's culturally different, we didn't grow up in that kind of environment, maybe it's from a different geographical part of the world, we see it and we smile and we're a little bit suspect. Like, that, that looks cute, but I, it can't be of God because they didn't do it our way. It's, it's different. And we begin to make judgment calls about the nature of the people who are doing this work and their motives. We've been, we begin to ascribe motive to them without knowing them or ever experiencing what we're criticizing. I find, my, I find this at work in myself. And it was convicting, very convicting to hit this this week. And Jesus responds to them. So John says, look, we took care of him. We told him to knock it off. Because that'll work. (laughs) And Jesus says, don't do that. Why why would you do that? Don't tell him to stop. He won't, and Jesus explains, he's not going to be able to play both sides of this. His true nature will be revealed. If he's not against us, he's for us. Even if he isn't with us. That's a good good thought this morning. 
If they're not against us, they're for us, even if they might not be with us today. Even though he's not part of our little band, he's still doing the work. You see, Jesus is pointing something out here. There is no neutrality with him. You're either for him or against him. And if you're against him and pondering, you're still against him. And if you're for him and struggling, you're still for him. But the world falls into those two categories. You are in Christ or you are against Christ. And that's it. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. And so for for him to say to these disciples, look, you're either against me or for me. And if he's against me, he won't be able to do these things in my power and then speak against me. I'm not going to share my glory with him and do that. Quite literally, you're for him or against him. There's also some encouragement to us about the great diversity that's found in the church, isn't it? We need to celebrate the unity we have in the gospel, and we need to be cautious about condemning our brothers and sisters who are in different camps on other issues. And again, just because they're not following along in the same spot as us doesn't mean they aren't following Jesus. Now, either because of jealousy or ignorance or rivalry, we have this habit of dismissing the work of others because they're not part of our little group. Surely the God's not going to bless them, right? I mean, they're using the wrong version of the Bible. The Lord doesn't bless that. God doesn't build ministries and use the wrong version, right? I heard that some of their churches are pastored by women. Surely God can't work through the power of his word in the hearts of people if there's a lady up front, right? I heard that they have a different belief about the sign gifts. Surely God doesn't move and work in those places too, right? Did you see the way that they worship so free and expressively? It's kind of loud in there. Surely God doesn't work in those places, does he? Did you see their stage with their fog machines and their light show so focused on presentation? Surely the Lord doesn't speak through those people, does he? And that's just the list that I pulled from my own heart. I don't know what you're dealing with. Those were the convicting things. I I had to confess to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry, I have done that. I have done that. And truth be told, more often out of ignorance and rivalry, un- unacceptable jealousy. Jesus said, look, I don't know if you know this or not, it, it was that same spirit that drove the Church of England to threaten George Whitfield because he, was, he had the audacity to preach outside. We just, we just preached a whole month outside. Some churches are only outside. If they were in the Church of England a couple hundred years ago, they could get yelled at for that. They would say, stop it. Don't do that. That's not a church-sanctioned building. It's not an official church service. Not only that, he was preaching to a multi-denominational crowd, and one of the fields he was preaching in was owned by a Baptist. So he's out there, an Anglican pastor, preaching to Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and pagans. And it doesn't matter that God is pouring out his spirit and great power on the preaching, that he's awakening a continent. I mean, pay no attention to that. He did it wrong. He should do it our way. He should do it our way. Shame on us. Shame on us. Students of the Old Testament might remember Numbers 11 where Moses was alerted that it was an Eldad and Medad are out prophesying among the people and they're not in the, in the tent. And they said, the, you know, the pipsqueak runs up. No, I think it was Joshua, right? He says, listen, listen, those guys are out there and they're prophesying. They're not here. And he, remember what he said? 
He didn't yell at him. He said, I wish that everybody, I wish that all the people of the Lord would prophesy. Let's be careful. Let's be cautious. If the Lord has led us and our congregation and our leadership team to certain convictions, then we will pursue them passionately. But let's be careful about throwing stones at those who land in different places. If they're not, for, if they're not against us, then they're for us. And they're with us, even if they're not walking with us in lockstep on everything. Thank God for the diversity in the church. It'd be really boring if every place looked just like ours. Remember what Paul says in the letter to the Philippians? Look, I don't know why they're preaching the gospel. I'm just rejoicing that they're preaching. Whether it's a pure motive or an impure motive, I'm just rejoicing that the gospel of Christ is being preached. May God help us to have that kind of spirit. Yeah. Here's what J.C. Ryle said. In his commentary, when he was addressing these rival, rivalries, he said, We may see many evils arriving, arising from religious divisions and dimensions, but all this must not prevent us rejoicing if the works of the devil are destroyed, if souls are being saved. Is our neighbor warring against Satan? Is he really trying to labor for Christ? This is the grand question. Better a thousand times that the work should be done by other hands than not done at all. Let's be cautious in when we're criticizing because we're not doing the same work that those brothers and sisters are doing, but God has called them to a certain ministry. And then Jesus says, even if, even, even if we give a cup of water because you belong, even if you receive a cup of water because you belong to Christ, that person will by no means lose his reward. What he's saying is every act done in the name of the Lord will be rewarded even if you think they're small acts, God sees them and he'll reward them. Let's be careful about rivalries. And then he talks about facing temptations. He says in verse 42, whoever causes, because it, it's still the same conversation, right? He says, if you cause my little one to sin, it'd be better for you to have a great millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. If you're leading people astray with your crazy rivalry talk, and if you lead them astray with your teaching, it would be better for you if you had a millstone, a large stone. Remember, we've seen the millstones? They're huge, and they have a big hole in the middle. It'd be better for you if you were wearing like a six-foot social distancing millstone collar and were tossed into the sea than to lead my little ones astray. Who are his little ones? His children. His people. Now, those of us who have, have enjoyed teaching ministries see this verse and we shudder. The Bible says that teachers will be held to a higher standard if we lead God's people into sin. We have to deal with him. That causes us to hit our knees in prayer. That causes us to be sober-minded about how we approach the scriptures. It causes us to study in preparation because if we lead them astray, God will defend them against us. And out of his intense love for them, he will punish those who harm them. The same way a good father will punish anybody who comes to and seeks to do harm to his family. He's not general in his condemnation. It's not like, oh, you'll be in trouble. He's like, it'd be better if you drowned in the ocean with a stone around your neck. The implication here is that God's righteous anger against your exploitation of the church against his people would be vastly worse than being drowned. It'd be better if you were just drowned. 
that have to stand before the Lord and deal with that. But then he says, but also be careful not only that you lead others astray, be careful you don't lead yourself astray too. If you lead yourself into sin and rebellion against God, there's a consequence. See, the stark reality of judgment and wrath is clearly seen. And although in our obsession with political correctness, we don't like to talk about hell, Jesus' words don't afford us that opportunity today. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better if you live your life maimed than you're thrown into hell. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It'd be better for you if you stumbled through life, limped through life, than that you, and, and secured your reward than with able feet you rebelled against God and ended up in hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better if you walk through life only seeing in one eye, with one eye, than have both eyes and find yourself disqualified. What, what is he trying to say here? These three illustrations are are really the same thing. Don't let yourself wander into sin. Fight off temptation. Paul says in Colossians, and I know that because I just taught it the other day. Paul says in Colossians, we should put to death all those things. And the reason we put them to death is because our lives are hidden with Christ and God and we are not the same people anymore. And so what happens is we are set free from sin and death, set free from all this, the power and the, the slavery of sin, and then we, for whatever reason, walk back in and offer our hands to be enslaved again. Every one of us. This is not just you, this is me too. We, our hearts are, are desperately wicked. And even though our spirits have been revived and our hearts are alive in Jesus, the flesh wars against that spirit. And day to day, we have to offer ourselves to God, our bodies as members to righteousness, denying ourselves and taking up his cross. Day after day, we have to guard temptation and fight. Now, we, we know based on the testimony of Scripture, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not a passage that says you can lose your standing with God as his child. What he's trying to make the point is, you will have to give an account for every idle word. You may have to give an account for every idle deed. If you love the Lord Jesus, if you've been saved and set free, then honor him with your life and walk with him in holiness as he commanded you. And if your, if your foot leads you into sin, your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Our hands must be offered to and in submission to Jesus' leadership. And if not, they lead us to violence or they lead us to theft. Our feet must be submitted to Jesus' leadership, for if not, they will lead us along the path of the wicked, down the path of folly, who reject God's wisdom, just like the Proverbs tell us. And along that path, we will find violence and theft and adultery. If your foot is leading you away from God's path of wisdom, then cut it off, he says. If your eye causes a sin, tear it out. Our eyes must be under control of the leadership of Jesus. If not, they will lead us to jealousy, to coveting, as we desire and long for things that others have, or they'll lead us to lustful desires where we linger too long, going back for third and fourth glances. As the doorway of our souls, before, before our minds are flooded with the disease and discontentment and immoral thoughts. Let's pluck it out, he says. 
that, that old Sunday school song rings true, doesn't it? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little mouths, what you say. For there's a father up above who's looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do not lead others astray, because then you have to deal with me. And pursue holiness, because you're going to have to meet with me too. There's great peril, great danger in playing fast and loose with sin in our lives. If in our battle to defeat sin and temptation, if we find that we're losing, then what Jesus is telling us here is do something drastic. Do something consequential. Do something decisive in your life to persevere in holiness, to honor the Lord. It is time then to lay down temporary creature comforts for the long-term gain of holiness and preserving our witness. It's better then to limp through life with one foot, to go through life with only one hand, to live without the internet, to set harsh passwords and filters. It is better to live life that way, foregoing some of the temporary pleasures of this life if it means that we will preserve our holiness, honor the Lord, and secure our reward. So kill sin. But you know why it's hard to kill sin? Because we love it. If it, were, if it were disgusting, and if it were heartbreaking, the moment we participated, it'd be easy. If sin were like Brussels sprouts, this is no problem. Right? One time, one time, uh, Pastor Ed Marcel from Terranova took me to this Caribbean place in Troy, and I had goat, and it was really rough. If sin was like goat, I have no problem with gluttony. None. But cheesecake is real. And it tastes amazing. And I could eat a lot of it. You see, the problem with sin is that we love it. And it's sweet for a season. But then the regret and the shame and the guilt flood our souls. And the way to defeat it, the surest way to defeat it, actually isn't just through white knuckles and deciding in ourselves that we're going to stop it. The greater motivator is love. You see, the best motivator for defeating sin is to allow your heart to grow in love for Jesus. So that through your love and affection for him, he might push out the affections for this world. I think it was Thomas Chalmers, the Puritan, that talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. That if we just cut something off and don't replace it with something valuable, pure, noble, and good, then eventually the wickedness of our hearts will find something else to dabble in. But if we, if we replace it with an all-in, all-in, all-encompassing love for Jesus and a growth in him, then in our love for him, we will find strength to stand and a willingness to lay down the temporary pleasures of this world. God has liberated us, and we all need to hear this. Please, please, please know that the, uh, I drew the short straw of having to talk to you about this today. But in talking about it, please don't ever receive the, under, the implication or the impression that I have arrived at some next level of holiness. We all need this today. Our hearts must be submitted to Jesus because we're wicked 
and they're, dis- they're deceitful. And we're all three, four decisions away from making shipwreck of our lives. We need to have our whole lives submitted to the leadership of Jesus. And if you find yourself today entangled in sin, I have great encouragement for you. If you confess your sin to God, if you name it to him and ask for his forgiveness, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The payment has been offered. The penalty has been covered. The debt has has been paid. You have a liberator and an advocate, a redeemer and a savior in Jesus Christ. So turn to him. And if you've been walking with Jesus and you're still struggling, turn to him. Let the disciples be an encouragement to you. They followed him closely. They still didn't get it. They still struggled. Let Paul's words be an encouragement to you. That which I do, I don't want to do. Who's going to save me from this body of death, he says, that wars against my spirit. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're a Christian and you're struggling in sin, then turn to Jesus. Don't hide it from him. Open wide your heart to him and seek his forgiveness and grace. He's there and he's ready. He talks about being salted with fire, which is a little bit interesting. He's not talking necessarily about the um, process of, justific- or, uh, of, of punishment in this case. Here it's more about the refining, the saltiness, and the purification process that results from our holiness. That we'll be refined, and we'll be a good witness, and we'll be able to keep our testimony if we pursue these things. If we lay down the temporary pleasures of this world in order for the greater gain of the gospel. Alright, so what? I know you're waiting for it. What does all of that mean for us? And I am so glad you asked that question. It means, one, there is a strong warning here for us to guard against unnecessary rivalries in the church. Even if they're doing it different. Even if on the side issues, the secondary, the, the tertiary issues, you know, even on those things that are not essential If they disagree with us, but they still love the gospel and preach the gospel, then let's rejoice that the gospel's being preached. Let's not look down our noses at those who who worship in different ways. But let's be united in the gospel. Secondly, be careful that you don't lead God's people into sin. One day you'll have to answer to him for that. Let's all, let's all commit ourselves to having our minds controlled by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit so that our advice and our leadership for our families, our children, our friends, our loved ones, our congregations, if we're in pastoral ministry, that all of us would do the work of studying to, make, to show ourselves uh, approved so that we lead people into righteousness, not into sin. Because at the end, we give an account to him. Those of us in the room who are elders here, I see you. There is a strong warning for us in this. Let's be careful that we make sure that we lead this congregation into righteousness and obedience and not into sin. For we'll have to give an account to God for how we've stewarded their souls. Equally as heavily, equally as heavy as that condemnation is the foolishness of leading ourselves back into sin. And yet we all struggle day after day. It would be better for us to take decisive, drastic, severe steps if necessary in order to win the battle against temptation and maintain our holiness before God. Amen. I want to offer, I want to close with this, this passage that I found just this morning in my, uh, in my reading through the Psalms. I'm, re- I'm doing that whole Billy Graham reading where you read five Psalms a day. So today is, Psalm, uh, today is August 2nd, so I read Psalm 2, 
32, 62, 92, 122. You guys should try that. It's really fun. But if you can't do math, sometimes it's str- you struggle. All right. Here's what he says in Psalm 32. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the one who's forgiven, who's got a clean conscience before the Lord. He says this, for when I kept silent, now he's talking about at a time where he didn't know that forgiveness. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I felt the conviction. He felt, he felt the, the sting of the Spirit's conviction in his life. My strength was d- dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Brother or sister, if you are here today, and find yourself struggling in the fight against temptation. Find yourself overcome with sin. Confess that to the Lord and receive his forgiveness and grace. He, is, he stands by ready. He stands by willing. He's pursuing you to offer that to you. And if you find yourself in that kind of situation, don't hide from him and run away. Run to him and disclose that to him and allow his grace to sweep over you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, its power, and its in the, the way you convict us with it. Lord, we ask for your help. We, we see rivalries in our own hearts, and we know that that's not godly, so we ask that you would root that out. Help us to celebrate our brothers and sisters in the Lord, even if they're not of the same tribe as us. Help us to rejoice in their work. Help us to celebrate. Help us to support it when we can and pray for it, because we're so committed to seeing the gospel change lives that we're willing to lay down our secondary issues. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to not lead others or ourselves into sin. Remind us again today of the great lengths that you have paid in order to set us free and show us the foolishness and the absolute emptiness of offering our our hands and our feet and our eyes and our mouth back to, to bondage. You have set us free. Show us how stupid it is for us to put our hands in shackles again voluntarily. And may our great love for you driven by your love for us, keep us from dishonoring you and preserve our holiness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining in with us online at home. This is where we have to leave you, unfortunately. It's good to see you uh, this morning. Make sure you stay tuned to our uh, Facebook feed, our YouTube, our website, our social media channels for any new updates and information. And we hope to see you again next week. For those of you who are here on campus, let's stand. And we'll continue to sing this morning.